Welcome to the Real Estate Fight Club, a podcast for agents where you'll witness a battle of opinions about topics affecting your real estate business. There are many ways for agents to achieve success. The secret is to find which approach will work for you. Now, always in your corner, here are your hosts, Jen Mertland and Monica Weekly. Hey guys, Monica here. I want to talk to you about one of the favorite partnerships and tools that I have in my real estate business, and you're going to want it in your real estate business too. It's Achosa Home Warranty. The best in the business, guys. They're different. They're different. And after all, isn't that what we want? Something that finally works for our homeowners. Achosa does a couple things different, but the one thing I want to highlight right here is that they let you choose your own contractors. Yes! That's what Achosa means after all, the ability or the power to choose. And so when your homeowner has something that needs fixed, they can call their own contractor and have them come in and get the quote and right there on the spot, call the Achosa Home Warranty customer service and they will approve the work right then and there and your contracting can get started and the problem can be solved and we're out the door. Isn't that awesome? So Achosa Home Warranty, guys, here's what you need to know. Use code Fight Club when you sign your buyer or seller up and that will give them $25 off their policy. $25 off with Fight Club. If you need to call, here's their number, 888-509-2916. Achosa, A-C-H-O-S-A, Home Warranty. <sighs> Fight Club for $25. Go get it. Hello, this is a series called Better Call Saul, where we discuss what is currently possible that if it were impossible, or what is currently impossible that if it were possible, would fundamentally change the way that we do business as real estate agents. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about what if you, the buyer's agent, had to present your client's offer directly to the seller. Here with me today is my co-host, Rachel Real, broker owner of Rachel Real Estate in Chicago. Hello, Rachel. Good afternoon, Jennifer. How are you? Great. So Rachel has been an agent for, are you, are we on year 19, Rachel? We're year, we're year 18. Year 18 eight. and a half-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. We're into it. We're almost leaving. Yeah. Okay. She has been on the Pro Standards Committee for eight of those years, currently serving as a three-time past chair. And she is passionately nerdy about all real estate rules. I am, sadly. And with us today, we have Saul Klein, who is the godfather of real estate technology. Saul has been licensed to sell real estate for over 47 years. And he was an original team member of Realtor.com and the creator of NAR's technology certification program we know as ePro. Saul was personally responsible for the first 500,000 listings to be displayed to the public on Realtor.com, spearheading listing syndication, which is the distribution of your listings to the consumer over the internet. Welcome, Saul. Let's dive into today's topic, which is presenting our buyer's offers. Way back when, how did we do it? Yeah. Well, so it's a paradigm shift, but it's like a reverse paradigm shift, right? It's retro. Right, because we're just circling back to what it was. It's it's vintage now. We're going to call it vintage. All things are repeat themselves, right? So uh, lately I've been involved in some conversations. I've heard people saying, well, you know, we don't present offers. We represent the buyer, but we give our offers to the listing agent and the listing agent presents the offer. And I thought to myself, well, that's cockamamie. That's unbelievable. You've got this fiduciary duty. You know who the buyer is. 
you don't present the offer, in my mind, you're not fulfilling your duties. And so, and maybe the listing agent could call the shots in the market over the last 12 years. But I think that there's a major shift taking place. And if you're selling real estate today, you ought to consider if you're working on the buyer side, you ought to consider what it's going to take for you to get in front of a seller yourself so you can make the case with all of the passion that you can bring to the seller on behalf of the buyer. And of course, all the pictures of their family, right, Saul? Yeah. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I just wanted Don't to see start with fair housing, damn it. <laughs> I wanted to see Rachel hyperventilate. You're trying to fire me up, right? But Saul, I 100% agree with you. Like, But how did we get away from it? So, well, tell me how it used right. to work exactly. And then what? how did we get away from doing that? So we used to believe it was like the watchword of our faith in real estate was time is of the essence. Ooh, I like it. Because an offer is not, we haven't, unless we communicate acceptance of that offer, typically in writing, we don't have a deal. And we know that lots of things can go sideways. Yeah. Oh, and they often do. Buyers can get buyer's remorse, sellers can, right? All kinds of things can happen. So the idea was, Look, if I am working with a buyer and the buyers decided they want an offer made on the property, then first of all, I'm going to stop everything I'm doing and I'm going to write that offer. And you've heard this before. We write it on the hood of the car, right? I mean, wherever we happen to be, we'll stop everything. We write the the next thing is we contact the listing agent. We say, I have an offer on your listing and I'd like to make an appointment to present the offer at which time the listing agent would call the seller and make arrangements. And you typically would meet the listing agent at the property and you would go in and you would present the offer to the seller. The listing agent would be there, but you, right. who knows better? The qualifications now I know why we got the- away from it. <laughs> right into happy hour, Saul. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother conversation about don't interrupt my spare, my free time. I'm a, I'm in real estate, but I really got to look out for my best interest, which is my family. And that's more important than the duties that I owe to my buyer or to my seller. And I think that's the wrong attitude as well. Right. As as well as a breach of fiduciary duty, if you're not careful. Right. So that's the way it used to be done. It was all, as soon as we got the parties ready to engage, then the people representing the parties and the parties got together and engaged. Now, we always kept the buyer at arm's length, right? So the buyer didn't get to go with us. Nothing good ever happens when you put a buyer and seller in a room together and let them talk about it. I mean, you can can listen to our pro standards or or what would you do episodes to to hear all about those. Yeah, right. Yes. So then, then as the person representing the buyer... I would go in and present for that buyer. Now I had to convince the buyer that I was the best person to present for them, right? That, that I would be better than a they lot would of be. Things, right? Like if when and if this practice goes back, like comes back into regular practice, everyday practice, that would make it very like the buyers would want to make sure they have the right representation, and that that buyer one hundred percent will get so- a an agreement signed. And then they would also stay focused on where do they want to sell houses? Cause I'm assuming this, I mean, this can also be done virtually, but I think there's an argument sure. there and this could be another argument. Can this, can the same thing be done virtually that's done face to face? And I think that depends on the client. And it depends on the real estate agent. 
Yeah. Right. 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 So, so like, I think when we go back to that too, if we went back to this particular method of doing things, the reputation in the real estate industry of the buyer's agent is going to come into play a lot more too. So yes. And so this brings this compelling argument conversation. Mm-hmm. What is your compelling argument to a real estate consumer, be they a buyer or a seller? And we talked about this question. You can use it on both sides of the coin. Why would right. you hire you? So think about it. Forget clients. If you were somebody and you owned real estate, why would you hire yourself, knowing everything about yourself? Why would right. you hire you as opposed to your competition? And right. the answers to that question should be part of your marketing. Now, it's, it also plays on the buyer side. Knowing everything you know about real estate, if you wanted to go out and buy real estate, why would you hire yourself to represent you? Yeah, in right. a real estate trade. And one reason might be because you know that you are going to do everything and make every effort to be present at the offer presentation because you know nobody can represent the buyer like you can. But if this, if we're looking at the logistics of how this could work, the cost of being an agent has exponentially gone up, I would say in the last 30 years, I imagine, right? So it's like I'm not so I'm not sure. I I mean I'll agree with you because I'll, but I don't know that that's the case. Okay. Well, in my 13 years, it has gone up for sure. I know that. Well, you mean like your dues for the to the MLS or all of the expenses, like marketing property? No, and- you could put it on the internet for free. I mean, <laughs> the marketing is like much cheaper than it used to be, right? You had to pay, is, and you had to is. run ads, and you had to run display ads, and you couldn't even afford display ads. And then the internet came along, and it didn't cost anything. So I'm not sure that it's more right. expensive than it used to be. But I'll go with you on that. Okay. What about if it's okay, if it's cheaper to have a listing, but we also need to keep more of our money because expenses on the personal side have gone up. What about that? Well, yeah, no doubt that the cost of living for everybody right. for everybody has, has, gone, right, up. has gone up. So it's kind of like you have to net more, I guess is what I'm saying, in order to keep right. the same lifestyle that we did 10 years ago. Or sell more properties. Or sell more properties. So you sell more properties. Let's say that you're an, what, like, if you're a top performing agent, you're selling like 30, 40 properties, right? And then you have the other agents that are selling like 80, 100. Logistically, if you're selling, let's say you're selling 36 properties a year, is this like a logically, let's like walk down the path? Yeah. So here's the interesting part. Is it something that you can physically do being only being able to be in one place at one time? Correct. Because- It's like this, right? Like it's a bell curve. It's not like you sell 36 houses and that's three a month. It's not like that. Right. It would be nice if it was, but it's not. not. It's either either utter chaos or or quiet. Right. So how do you you still benefit from being an agent that presents their buyer's offer either in person or in Zoom or whatever it might be? Don't you have more teams now? You have more. So it's not like one person is selling typically 100 properties a year. No, it's I like they've got the people helping them. Solo agents doing like 36 deals. Let's just right, take that right. as an example. So I don't know, 30, <laughs> 36 deals a year. Yeah. Right. I think you could handle that. I mean, I think so. I don't think that 36 is a, is too many for one person or one person and a personal assistant to be I don't able think to it's handle too many today. to handle as we do it now. I'm thinking if it goes to where we're presenting offers, I mean, I don't really represent a lot of buyers. So Rachel, when you're representing a buyer, how many offers on average are you writing? 
during uh, the the chaotic market of COVID, I mean, I was up to thirty offers for one client. So I mean, in in that market, it was it was utter chaos. You're not always presenting all thirty, right, Saul? Or were you presenting every offer, or was it like we were back back then? We were presenting just about every offer, but in thirty six deals a year is only three a month, and so then right three a month. So how many? So it depends on your closing ratio. But you know, and this goes back to planning and looking. Okay, I need to contact this many people to write this many offers to get this many accepted to get this many right, to close. Right. Right? Yeah, so let's say the average is you need to write. I mean, what, Rachel, what do you think in the market today? Four. Yeah, I would say you know between four and five, three and five ish, somewhere in there. I mean, when you're talking about kind of an average market, if I think back to buyers I've worked with over the years, we might write a couple of offers before we get one that sticks. So then that's 144 offers total over the year for the client. Mm -hmm. So that's presenting 12 offers a month, but it's not like that, right? It's like you'll close five of them. You'll close five of them at in one month or six in a month, but let's just say five in a month and there's four. So you're presenting 20 offers that month. I mean, I think it's doable. It could be chaotic. Well, yeah, you also right. You also have to look at the the perception and the feeling of the listing agent and the sellers, and right. trying to get. I mean, back you know thirty forty years ago, things weren't nearly as busy as they are now. People's kids weren't in eight hundred activities. You didn't have dual working families where both adults are out working different or places at different times together. Right. Right. You didn't have. I mean, I wasn't driving up to Vernon. My parents were driving up to Vernon Hills. You know, from 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 Lombard. 35, 40 years ago to do sports. You went to the grade school three blocks down and they walked to the game and he came home. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't an all day affair. It was a lot of traveling. So, I mean, if you look back at the way, when, when it was the norm and buyer's agents presented their offers in person, it was the norm. And that was what the expectation was on the listing agent and seller side. Now that that's not there because of all the technology that we have that makes it far more easy for us to present an offer and do it really quickly because you can do it from, you can do it from a phone now. But you're going to get pushback from a listing. Best... A- you're going to get pushback from a listing agent and a seller saying, "Hey, I don't want to have. I don't have time for well, this. Just send me your stuff." So, that, so you hit a really important. If the seller says, "I don't want that," I don't. Then that's a different story. So that right, means absolutely. that the job of the listing agent is counseling yeah. what's in the best mm-hmm. interest of the seller based on the what the seller. So now you're really a counselor, which is what you should right. be doing anyway. Yeah. And absolutely. so then you get something in writing that says, "No, the seller has decided." That right. the best way for them to sell the property is right, but none of that takes place today. And no, so, it doesn't. Right, and so then I get another interesting point that you just kind of brought up is: Does the super agent, let's say the person that closes two hundred deal, do they are they really performing in the best interest of the seller or buyer? And mm-hmm. I actually might turn around and use that against them and say, No, you know what? I don't close two hundred deals a year. I close fifty deals a year, and I focus right. on. You and we're back to this question of how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? And there are a lot of ways, right, to do it. Looking at the different ways that people practice in the market today. But you exactly. know what? Actually, I just had a thought. So if we do go back as an agent, and I'm like the chances of the co-op agent selling less than us is really high. Most agents sell what, like five houses a year? Yeah, that's probably yeah. Over was it Rachel? Like for many years. Fifty percent of the people that were members of a multiple listing service didn't sell anything. Didn't sell anything at all, right? And right. I would fully support going to a a minimum standard or a minimum bar of transactions to be a member of NAR. Yeah, that's a whole or to be able topic. to practice. That's a whole other story. Well, what if, but right? But I mean, think about it. it live. 
you could also like do a video. Absolutely. Well, you can just sit there into the side or sit in a waiting room even. I, I, don't, I wouldn't even argue with that and just say, bring me in if you have questions. If you have questions, I'm here. Yeah, but the problem I mean, is think about, think about all the nuance for all these different offers. But they don't know. They don't know what their questions no. are because they haven't even read the contract, right? So don't get me started. The problem that listing agents are going to have with the buyer's agents presenting the, well, the problem the buyer's agents are going to have is they're not going to think that they're skilled enough to do the presentation, right? Then they shouldn't be selling real estate. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. But that's not the case, right? That's not the reality. It it could be if the competent agents pushed what they do and how they differentiate themselves. If you vote for me, that will happen. Well, I think part of that, Saul, to your point, part of that is educating the public that what they don't know, they don't know. Yeah. So they have to be open to understanding that a vast majority of agents don't have a good grasp on what they're doing. So, and they don't know any different as a consumer. So how do we go in and make sure that we we relay that information in a way that they can understand? Yeah. And then the listing agents will say, well, I don't want the buyer agent to speak directly to the clients because what if, what if they steal them? Well, they're not, they're not going to steal them because- I don't think that's the concern. I think the concern is they're going to make me look stupid. Right. That's what, right. Exactly. But then we're, we're back to fiduciary duties. Agreed. Right. Right. And whose best interest are you representing? I love it. I think we should do it. Let's do it, Rachel. Here's the thing. When you talk about the nuances to all these different offers, you've got escalation clauses with caps, without caps. You've got all kinds of crazy things that we deal with in this market or even any market, really. Escalation clauses have been around for a while. But you've got all these different nuances. And if you have a straight up, here's my offer, here's my earnest money, here's my closing date, here's my loan, it's straightforward. There's nothing, there's not a lot of questions that are going to come out of that. Right. So when I put together an offer, I always do a, a cover email to the listing agent slash sellers and address it to both of them and say, here is my client's offer as if I were presenting it in person. Yeah. So it's kind of what I've used to take the place of, of the old school way of it presenting added, it in person. Yeah. Exactly. Do something but at least just spell it out and explain a little bit more of the nuance that isn't going to be incorporated in the, the contract document itself. But now when you have an offer that's got an escalation clause with an undisclosed cap and you're waiving certain things and you've got cash, but you're saying if we'll pay cash, but maybe we won't if we don't, if, if, or maybe we'll get a mortgage, but we don't have to, all these different nuance. Sometimes those other agents, that co-op agent you're dealing with doesn't understand what those things are. We've had long discussions about escalation clauses and undisclosed caps. And the amount of different opinions on, on what that means is, is frightening. So you have offers that are going in that maybe aren't being presented accurately For sure they're not. With, the inten- with the buyer's intentions mm-hmm. to the seller. And then therefore, they're not getting those offers. So who knows the buyer the best? Right. Who knows the conditions of the contract the best? Who can, as you say, express the nuance the best absolutely win that deal for their client and it's absolutely not necessarily the listing agent i agree with you no it's not and i think that as a listing agent or i mean any or a buyer's agent you're going to really think long and hard about who your clients are if and when this comes back into something that we do and where the location is right like if i know my world is on this part of town i'm not going to take listings if i have to be at every offer presentation. I'm not going to take listing clear on the side of town. Or as a listing agent, I'd be like, yeah, you can present your offer and all the other offers on Saturday at whatever it is, like a time. Right. Here's what we're going to do. Right. Where you just rotate them in through so you can do apples for apples, but then you have the time of of the essence issue. And the buyers will know that we're looking for multiple offers and they might pull. 
there's so much to this right now. You throw this, yes. you throw this in, and that is AI is going to change. Artificial intelligence is going to change the whole game. Well, technology yep. has already changed right? a lot. So, yeah, all the technology, but in particular, that you're going to see acceleration in the technology here in the next couple of years. It's going to blow people away. And, right. and then even we have this conversation around dual agency. Yeah. Right. And so, and I've always been of the opinion that there's nothing wrong with dual agency. Nope. Because, Rachel Because Haley. often a dual depends agent, on the, I'm going to say it depends on the person. Yeah. Depends on the people involved. Often a dual agent, mm-hmm. a competent dual agent is better than two incompetent single agents. Boom, boom. I would not disagree and, with and, that. And this whole conversation <laughs> is that, that we have all these incompetent people selling real estate. Well, I How think we fix this. I think we, we need to wrap this up. The question is, is what if we return to where you as the buyer agent has to present or gets to present your offer directly to the seller? How does this change things for you? And what does that look like? And we want to hear your feedback. Make sure you comment. Well, uh-huh. one, one thing, think about there's these, there's litigation today that might make buyer representation and commissions on the buyer side more of a reality. And yeah, if that yes. takes place, and that's a paradigm shift, yep. if that takes yeah. place, then how are you going to differentiate yourself from all the other people that are representing buyers in transactions? Yep. And one way to do it is to say you're very effective at face-to-face communication with the listing agent and the seller in an offer presentation. I love it. Right. And I think I think on the flip side, listing agents should try to be a little more open-minded when a buyer's agent does approach them and say, hey, I would like to present this offer in person or via Zoom, whatever it might be. We don't all have to get together, but if everybody's in different places and a 15-minute or 10-minute Zoom call will work, then that's fantastic. Let's hop on there. And I'd like to see listing agents not have such pushback on that and be so guarded about having that conversation or being part of the conversation with the offer being presented. I agree. But that also allows us as buyer's agents to be more creative in the offers and to really dig deep. Yes. It's going to work for the right. buyer and the seller and to talk to each other. The each agent right. talk to each other to find out what's really going to work, not just surf yeah. stuff. Yeah. And right. the market's no, changing. That, that does allow that for sure. The, mar- the market's changing and, and listing agents are going to be looking for offers. Yeah, exactly. This is gonna be <laughs> yeah, like, they are. They're going to be looking for offers. They're going to love mm-hmm. you when you call them right. and say you're bringing an offer exactly. in. Absolutely. Well, Rachel, if people have a referral for you in Chicago or they want to get a hold of you, what is the best way? Best way to reach me is by cell phone at 630-542-8688. You can shoot me a text there or reach me at on Facebook, LinkedIn, anywhere you can find me on social at Rachel Real Estate. Awesome. And Saul, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, you can join us on Facebook at Real Talk. It's a great Facebook group. And we've been around for about 35 years now, communicating online or Saul at SaulKlein.com or Saul at BetterCallSaul.Realtor. And I'd love to hear from you. And if we want to get on your newsletter to just get more context about, because what you're saying about, what is your saying that you have about context? Uh, Text without context is pretext. Yes. Right. Actually, I think it's a biblical quote. Text without context is pretext. So the data advocate, if you go to the dataadvocate.com or the dataadvocateblog.com, we're talking about this and many paradigm shifts coming down the line, things we're going to see in the next couple of years. I love it. Thanks for being on, guys. Good to see you. Thanks, everybody. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Fight Club Podcast. 
Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get updates when new episodes are available. And we truly love feedback and would appreciate all likes, reviews, and suggestions for future topics.